Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. What the fuck? Um, shock gasp? No, I did not. Can you tell me about him? I was in the wrong spot. Welcome back to the bullshit filter, Raimondo. Yeah, when it when it came to that comment, I was in the wrong spot. I told you to take all the microphones out of my bedroom. Uh, not cool, man. Not cool. <laughs> Uh, where we continue the story of the political history of Bolivia. Yes. Now, uh, at the end of our last episode, Ray, we talked about the uh, CIA overthrow, supported overthrow of the Bolivian government in the early 70s. Uh, uh, Henry Kissinger uh, sort of told the CIA, get a fucking, what did he say? Crank up (laughs) an operation! (laughs) We are having a major problem in Bolivia. (laughs) And they brought to power Colonel Hugo Banza. Right. And his archives of terror. Um, We talked about how Paz sort of supported that. Uh, Paz and the MNR. But then Banza split with them. Paz went into exile. Yes. And Banza continued to run the country as a military dictatorship until... 1978, where there were new elections held, mm-hmm. which were won by Chiles, guy we've mentioned before, uh, sort of former uh, partner, vice president with Paz of the MNR. Paz came back from exile, ran against Chiles, <laughs> and came third. He's a lot of thirds. Anyway. But. Yeah. The elections were declared invalid anyway. Oh. Regularities, right? <laughs> Regularities. <laughs> okay. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of inconclusive elections over the last seven years in Bolivia's uh, political history. But it's okay because they had another election in 1979. Oh. Celes won again. Right. Paz came second. Oh, yes. But the, but the elections were declared invalid again. <laughs> Listen, we keep telling you people. Vote the right way. We're not going to let this election. I, I could do this all day until you vote stand the right way. Until you exactly. vote the right way. Right. <laughs> well, I don't want to jump ahead, but there's another way to deal with inconclusive elections, and that's just by oh, I don't know. Let me think of something. Uh, having a fucking coup, as seems to work in the past. Is there one coming? Well, up there was in the another. <laughs> there is, but there was another election in 1980. They were trying to get it right. They had one in '78. Annulled. Time. 79, right. annulled. Right, here we go. 80, had another one. Yes. Finally, Celez oh. won again. Same result as the last two elections. <laughs> Paz came second again. Same result as the previous election. Not bad. This time, there was a coup. General Luis Garcia <laughs> Metza led this coup. Listen, you've had three chances. You haven't got it right. Uh, we're going to have to take over. Right. And exiled... Paz again. By this stage... (laughs) Does he have dual citizenship? I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Paz just has... His main house is in Argentina. He just visits Bolivia for elections, basically. run for office and... He's leaving Argentina. They go, well, lovely to see you, Paz. He goes, listen, I'll be back in probably three weeks. Uh, Don't get too excited. I'm going to run. Going to go back for my... 
Going to get back for my annual election, <laughs> and then I'll be yeah. back. But I mean, you do time. annual physicals. I do annual elections, so don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, Mets uh, ruled for yeah. a couple of years, uh, but the military were under pressure to recognize the 1980 election. And so they ended up doing that and Celez finally became president. Right. If I could just real quick, because I think this is kind of funny. You were talking about General Luis uh, uh, Garcia a second ago, who, you know, stages a coup after these inconclusive elections. And what? And I just think this is funny. He tells the people, look, I promise you, yes, I've taken over with, with, uh, with the rifles, but if you don't give me any shit. I will only be in power for one year. What I'm going to do is I'm going to clean everything up and then I'll step down. No problem. I'm going to, I'm kind of like going to do a solo. I'm going to clean this shit up and then I'm going to volunteer. I'm just going to walk away and, and go enjoy my life. He gets to the end of the one year. He gets on the TV. He's, he's on the, the broadcast all over the place that people just assume he's going to say it is the year I'm going to step down. And he kind of is almost like trying to be humble but at the same time just kind of chuckling to himself as if he's giving in to the will of the people and the only speech he makes is all right i'll stay and then he gets kicked out because he broke his his rule i think he gets kicked gets replaced by another general but the point is at least he tried to come across as someone who was giving into the will of the people by staying in power he obviously has betrayed them and so he gets kicked out and now it's time to shuffle the cards once again you know, despite his whole "I'm only going to stick around for a year," what I read is that he had intended to pull a Pinochet and last for twenty years. Right. He was he wanted to be more of an Augustus than a Sulla. But you got to start like, one step at a time. Well, you got to tell people one thing: what your intention is. Another right. Thing. right. Of course, it's important to note that in the late seventies, early eighties, uh, a lot of things going on in terms of the United States and their relationship with Bolivia. You know, Jimmy Carter in the late 70s right. is less of a... I mean, the Dick. Operation Condor is still going on, but yeah. he's less of a authoritarian mm-hmm. than Nixon or, you know, Reagan had been. Right. Let's ignore Ford for a minute. I guess he just really <laughs> continued Nixon's stuff. Yes. Um, and, you know, there, there was... During the late 70s in Bolivia, there was this view that uh, they, they disliked the investigation into economic and human rights abuses that was happening Ooh. in Bolivia under the Bolivian Congress. Yeah. The, which Don't do that. Um, the support of the left there was starting to investigate these things. And they, they were the, part, the right wing part of the military was kind of hoping that the Carter administration would get kicked out in the US would be replaced mm-hmm. with a more right-wing Republican administration, which, of course, it did. Reagan came in very sort of pro-US, my country right or wrong, right. hard-line anti-communist uh, government, which would uh, be more supportive of your brutal right-wing dictatorships in South America. Yeah. And so uh, this is how uh, Metza came to power, partly to align themselves with the Reagan administration. Uh, the president, um, just before that briefly, was uh, Guelier, who was Metz's cousin. It was the president that made his cousin the commander of the <laughs> army. Right. And uh, who then led a coup d'etat, sometimes referred to as the cocaine coup. 
oh. of July 1980. Those are my favorite kind of coups. Yeah. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, yeah. They're basically, you you bring the cocaine or we'll have a coup. I think basically, I'm going to talk more about cocaine and coca uh, later on. Right. Uh, so yeah, he was he was fairly brutal though. Garcia Metza um, outlawed all political parties, exiled all of the opposition leaders, repressed trade unions, uh, shut down the the press. Typical military was actually yeah. It was actually supported and backed by former SS officer and Nazi German <laughs> war criminal Klaus Barbie. That's how you know you're doing it right. When the SS goes, no, that's good. You know you've got, you're on the right track. When you've got the SS and Henry Kissinger supporting you. The opposite ends. Yes. You know you're yeah. doing something right. Really? Are they the opposite ends? Well, you got a no, German and you got a German Jew. I would a, a Nazi and a German Jew. I think that's the opposite ends yeah. of something. You look up sort of you know Nazi Jew in the dictionary. I think you see Henry Kissinger. <laughs> um, the butcher of Lyon was Klaus Barbie. Right. Um, he only he, when did he get finally caught? Nineteen ninety one. Damn, he had a good run. Uh, yeah, so he was supporting him. Also, the, the neo-fascists from Europe, uh, the Italian neo-fascist Stefano Della Chiai. Chiai right. I don't know how to pronounce that. And uh, the, the guy behind the 1980 Paris synagogue bombing, Ernesto Mia Rodriguez. Uh, a, lot, a lot of you know, right-wing people were supporting yeah. Metza. Metta and his government were supposedly involved in drug trafficking, uh, but th- those allegations fly around all over the place. I wouldn't take those too seriously. Mm-hmm. But he was brutal, this guy, yeah. uh, very brutal. And uh, But after a couple of years, he, he got, got removed and Celez became president again. Now, when Celez becomes president, Paz blocks him at every turn. They're former partners. right. It's personal. But Paz, who still is in exile, but he controls the MNR, blocks him at every turn, won't oh, let him get anything passed, and the right. country falls into hyperinflation. Oh Largely God. prompted by the collapse of international tin prices, because tin is still one of the main right. uh, economic resources in Bolivia at the time. So and they're forced came. to hold new, right. new right. elections in 85, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 uh, Salais can't get anything done. The economy gets worse. People are on strike. There's protesting roadblocks in the streets. Believe it or not, there are more inconclusive elections. Parliament has enough of this shit, and they choose Paz to be president. So he's back on top once again. How old is he at this stage? Like in his late seventies or eighties oh, or yeah. something? Yeah, could be. Um, yeah. Paz. Again, he came second. He, I'm sorry, he used to know Simone Bolivar, I think is how old he is. Uh, Simon Bolivar. Bolivar, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Not quite that old. He, uh, they had elections in 85. Paz came second to Banza. <laughs> Colonel Hugo Banza ran in the election. He oh. came second but was declared president anyway. Right. They were like, oh, look, he's old. Yeah, just just uh, let him, to ha- him. Let him have it. It's his, it's his last You'll time. You'll have plenty of chances for more yeah. coups, Hugo. <laughs> you got plenty of so, coups in your future. 
Yeah. Paz became president for the fourth of following But here's the thing. By this stage, he had moved quite far to the right. Remember, oh. MNR originally in the 40s when he started it. Yes. Had a left faction and a right faction, and they right. did a lot of reforms. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, they brought about uh, universal suffrage and they nationalized Agrarian. mines and yeah. natural resources and all this kind of stuff. By this stage, though, I think... He's had enough. He's sick of yeah. He's sick of reform. He's sick of trying of being overthrown and having to go into exile every three weeks. <laughs> uh, and he decides that moving to the right, at least he'll have the support of the US. They won't be trying to overthrow him. Right. Fuck. How does that work and, out? Uh, yeah. Well, not great. Um, you know, because because when he stood for election, he neglected to tell the electorate that he had moved to the right. So he he gets into power, fires 30,000 miners from off the government payroll. Unions are suppressed. There are massive strikes. A curfew was imposed on the citizens. Travel throughout the country is restricted. Universities and meetings of the opposition are raided. Uh, Hundreds of union leaders are kidnapped and taken to prison camps in the Amazon until strikes were called off. He tries to turn it into a neoliberal, privatised economy supported by the US, the IMF and the World Bank. Right. Still the poorest country in South America, Bolivia, at this stage. But, you know, it's just just huge disaster through this period, as it has been for decades. Isn't it still the poorest country in South America? I thought I heard that it was still was. I believe so, yes. Okay, just want to make sure. All right. Now, in 1989, he finally finished his term, retired from politics, and died in 2001. He lived to quite an old age. Wow. A bit like Henry Kissinger. Um, then in 1989, another Paz. Right, uh, Paz too. Yeah, Paz Zamora became president. Unrelated, mm-hmm. as far as I know. I'll call <laughs> right. him Paz Zamora to try and separate between the two. A little bit of background on Paz Zamora. He was a Marxist who had been sent into exile by Hugo Banzer in 1971, along with the other Paz. Hugo right. just said, anyone with the word <laughs> Paz in their name out is exiled. Right out. You're gone. I can't <laughs> tell you apart. You'll look the same to me. You're all out. And that's not racism. I just hate the name Paz. Get the fuck out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, while Paz Zamora was in exile, he founded the MIR, the Revolutionary Left Movement. He returned in the late 70s and in 1980 was in a small plane with a bunch of other politicians from his party that crashed... Right. Killing everyone on board except Paz, who was terribly injured, covered in burns, but he survived. Wow. The plane okay. was owned by Colonel Luis Arca, who, who later became the Minister of the Interior. So it's widely seen as an assassination attempt. Oh, you want my plane? You want a plane? Sure, take yeah, my plane. I got yeah. Oh, it's fine. Ignore the ship shape. (laughs) Ignore the little wheel with the mouse in it. That's just the engine, but it's a really good mouse. Don't worry about it. Just jump on board. Go. Oh, good. Don't you worry about it. (laughs) Um, 
Now he uh, Louis Louis Arca Arca A R C A Louis Arca Gomez. He was involved in the cocaine coup that I mentioned before that brought Garcia Metza to power. Then right. he became the uh, minister for the interior. Interestingly, uh, he ended up being extradited to the United States where he was put in jail and served a long sentence for drug trafficking. Right. And then in 1993, while he was still in jail in the US, he was condemned by the Bolivian justice system to 30 years in prison for human rights violations so just keep during in the there. Garcia Metza regime. Right. Uh, when he was released from jail in the US in 2007, he applied for political asylum in the US, was denied... Right. And in 2009 was deported back to Bolivia where he is still in prison. Damn. Aged 80 or 81, he is uh, held in prison. And speaking about the 1980 dictatorship, he was interviewed in 2010. He shared his knowledge about the remains of the people who disappeared in in. in in exchange for something, he offered to share knowledge. If they want to know something, I have to gain something as well. It's not free. Yeah. He said. Quid pro quo. That's Trump. Yeah. They said, fuck you, stay in jail, die in jail, bitch. Right. Um, so there. And he's going he's to. still in jail. God. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to jump so ahead. Was- yeah. Go ahead. Oh, by the, by the way, uh, I wanted to point out that uh, – there's a character in the Al Pacino film Scarface right. that is based on Gomez. Really? General Cocombre. Yeah, he's known as General Cocombre. Uh, <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> he's going to live forever. The, yeah, he's, he's uh, on t- featured on TV, I think, in Scarface, based on this guy. So that's pretty cool. Like, he might be spending the rest of his life in jail, but, but uh, he's got that going at for least, him. you yeah. know, that he was in, in Scarface. Well, a version of him was in Scarface. That's pretty cool. Right. I mean, he's got a conversation starter if he ever gets out of jail, but that's still yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. sure even in jail, it's pretty cool. <laughs> hey, now, hey. Yeah. yeah. Paz Zamora recovered from these burns and his injuries from the plane crash. Ran in the 1980 elections with Siles. They would have won... Except for that coup that was led by General Luis Garcia Meza that we talked about, and Paz Zamora fled into exile again. Oh All my God. of the Pazes go back into exile. <laughs> about face? Yeah. He came back in 82, ran for election again, and became VP to Celes at this time. Then Paz Zamora became president, I said, in 89. When uh, the other Paz finally retired or his term was up. Now, here's the fascinating thing. When Paz Zamora became president in 1989, he signed an accord with Colonel Hugo Banza, who I think was General Hugo Banza at this stage, former president Hugo Banza. Uh, um, And he threw out his Marxist leanings and also became neoliberal, working with the IMF and the World Bank in the U.S., Right. So all, all of these guys, uh, you know, they use, hey, 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 it's all right, I'm a Marxist to get into power. Right. 
they get into power and they go, yeah. just kidding. Yeah. They they rip That's off right. their clothes and they're wearing the American uh-huh. flag underneath it. Right. Mm. Wrapped around their penis. Yeah. So he was accused of being involved with drug trafficking, as they all are at various stages, Um, and I'll explain why down the track. In 1993, the MNR party won again. This time it was led by President Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada. And then Mm -hmm. in 97, Banza became president (laughs) again. I'm back, baby! Age 71. Just go play golf. Why in the fuck... Anyway. This time, uh, again, as an election, not a coup. He was getting too old for that shit. Right. It just ran for election. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. But now, he tried to... He, like like the guys before him, like Pajamara, had tried to push through a lot of privatisation, which was being insisted upon by the IMF and the World Bank. Look, if you want loans from us, you need to privatise everything. And by privatise, we mean sell it off to right. U.S. American interests or interests yeah. aligned with the U.S. Um, yeah. Sell off all your natural resources to us on the cheap, and in return for that, we'll give you loans. Huge protests in Bolivia. Uh, Banza declared martial law. People oh. died. Protest leaders were arrested. He shut down the media. But eventually he gave in and rolled back some of the privatizations. Then he got a lung cancer diagnosis, resigned in 2001, and was succeeded by his vice president, Jorge Quiroga. Now he was getting... I'm sorry, I was just going to say near the end of his life, he was getting some shit because by 1999, people in the country are encouraged by um, the people who prosecuted the former Chilean dictator, Augusto Pinochet. So they're like, they're looking into Banza's role uh, when he was the leader, i.e. dictator, from like 71 to 78. So the, his last final years were not that pleasant between worrying about some kind of you know jail time for the rest of his life and his sickness. So he, he, he doesn't end on a high note. Colonel Hugo Banza and the Rotting Lung which is his uh, follow-up album at the time. So uh, there's, there are more elections in 2002. Uh, Sanchez de Lozada won uh, again. Uh, right. This is his second term. He's another MNR candidate. But right. Ibo Morales came in third. Ooh. This is where Ibo Ooh. Morales really comes into our story. So... Several days, though, before this election happened in 2002, Mm -hmm. the American ambassador, Manuel Rocha, warned the Bolivian people that if they voted for a candidate known to have links with drug trafficking... Right. ...which apparently was indirectly referring to Ibo Morales... ...the U.S. would cut off foreign aid and close its markets to the country... Now, when he said, vote for a candidate known to have links with drug trafficking, I think they said, well, that's all of them. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. What do you want us to do? No, but he was, he was referring to Morales. Um, now, so the U.S., and this is, gets back to my interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with Dove Levin. This mm. is the U.S. trying to interfere in a foreign election. They're not sponsoring a coup. 
Right. They're basically just saying to the Bolivian people, if you vote for Evo Morales, we're going to cre- we're going to create economic ha- uh, yeah, chaos in your country. Exactly. An out and out threat. You can. We love democracy in America. Mm. You can vote for anyone you like <laughs> in a democracy, <laughs> as long as it's the people we want you to vote for. Right. It's the right one. Yeah. Now, Morales at the time was running under the banner of the MAS party, the movement towards socialism, Mm -hmm. and the people apparently were so furious about America's attempts to influence the election that Morales got 21% of the vote, came in third, but it was a huge showing, and according to exit polls, people voted for him because the Americans told them not to. The threat backfired. Now, I wanted to... Yeah. Yes, now, I wanted to do a bit of a biography on Evo Morales because uh, obviously the whole reason for doing this series at the moment is to talk about the coup against his government that's just happened in Bolivia. And I think to understand that, you know, we've spent the last couple of episodes talking about the history of Bolivia, the mm-hmm. poverty, the the uh, disenfranchisement of the majority of the population. Right the uh, violent and bloody coups that they've had almost every year for the last century, very brief periods of stability in there, uh, America's involvement in overthrowing left-leaning governments since the 60s in Bolivia and installing brutal right-wing dictatorships. Uh, and so... To understand why Evo Morales was the president in the first place and why he's been so popular and why he may have wanted and he may have had a certain amount of popular support Mm -hmm. to extend his term limits or change the term limit rules of the country, you have to understand a little bit about him. So he was born in 1959 to a poor indigenous farming family mm-hmm. of the seven children in the family only two survived childhood him and a sister oh my god yeah and they lived in a traditional adobe or mud brick house so very basic subsistence living going on here uh but you're right he and another one are able to survive into adulthood and it's going to change the course of this country hey he got a, a- some kind of an education, Basic. went to university for yeah. a while but didn't finish. Yeah. Uh, apparently he was thinking about becoming a journalist, but he ended up doing a range of manual labour jobs, eventually joined the military and became a guard at the presidential palace. But when that finished, this was during one mm-hmm. of the coups, I think he did that, one of the periods of instability. When that finished, he, he borrowed some money from an uncle and set up a farm. No, oh, good. Where he grew, among other things... Coca leaves. Right. Now, Bolivia's relationship with coca leaves goes way, way back. It's um, very important to the Bolivian people. It has a traditional uh, religious and health-related uses in the country. Right. Uh, But the U.S. had been trying to get Bolivia to shut down their coca farms for decades. Yeah. Obviously, because it's a key ingredient in cocaine, producing mm-hmm. cocaine. In 1981, a, a campesino, uh, a, a, a farmer, but a coca grower in this particular uh, um, incident, was accused of cocaine trafficking by soldiers and he was beaten uh, and burned to death. Oh, God. 
And uh, as a result of this, Ibo Morales became much more involved in the coca farmers union and became a lot more activist into trying to uh, push for the rights of coca farmers. And the US started sending soldiers down to Bolivia. Uh, this is, you know, early days of the Reagan right. regime, Operation Condor, etc., etc. Uh, so they've a got Operation Condor stop the stop the socialists, communists, the leftists. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they've got the war on drugs, which right. we've talked about at length on this show, right. and you know how really the war on drugs was just a justification for various administrations to beat up on immigrants and mm-hmm. uh, uh, people pushing for political reform, social reform, that kind of stuff. So, uh, and also as a money-making machine for a lot of businesses and government departments and all that kind of stuff. So Bolivian troops supported by the US military would just set fire to coca crops, beat up coca growers if they tried to stop them. And Morales sees all this. Yeah, and he sees because of the hyperinflation, because this, this is also one of the points where the government changes leadership again. Unemployment is around 25%. So between the violence, the unemployment, the low pay, your country doesn't own anything. Things are just, it's a shit show. And Morales becomes concerned and he starts getting involved in unions. But then his father dies in 1983, so he backs off to focus on that. But clearly he is seeing how bad it is for the majority of his people. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's basically a, a farm boy yeah. who uh, wants to fight for the rights of his people. Now, you know, the U.S. Uh, can think whatever they want about coca and coca farms but for the bolivians particularly for the coca farmers Mm -hmm. for the bolivians this is an issue of national sovereignty this is something like you said has been a part of their culture for what hundreds of years a thousand years i don't know they use it you know for medicines and stuff like that it's it's intertwined in who they are in their country and suddenly these outsiders are going to come in and say you need to destroy something that you consider to be a part of your everyday life that is just that is just extreme foreign intervention, and, and, and they're not going to stand for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, coca goes back to the Incas right. uh, in Bolivia. It's, a, as I said before, sort of big part of their culture. Now, of course, yes, in the uh, 70s and 80s, there was a lot of money to be made as, as, a, as a coca farmer right. because of... The, the cocaine industry, and particularly mm. American people buying cocaine, pushed right. the price up of coca leaves. But from the viewpoint of the coca farmers, not my problem what you do with it once we grow it. We're growing yeah. it. Don't. We're growing a crop that we've always grown. Right. <clears throat> this is capitalism, baby. If you want to buy it, you want to pay money for it, Go that's ahead. good for us. We're poor. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you want to buy it? We don't care what you do with it. We're here to grow, to farm, to grow our leaves like we've always done. Right. If you want to turn it into drugs, that's on you. That's not my fucking problem. That's your problem. Deal with your own fucking shit. 
Right, and that was the other thing I was going to say. So America obviously isn't trying or having much success with stopping the demand, so they're trying to stop the source. And as you can imagine, because of its many different uses, I mean, this is actually one of their more profitable products. And now the Americans want to come in and they want to get the Bolivian government and army to help them eradicate it, destroy it, bust some heads and come down on these farmers. This is just, this is intolerable. Hmm. So... For the Bolivian coca farmers, the U.S. are just imperialists trying to force their will on these people. Uh, they, they they would chant, long live coca, death to the Yankees. Yes. And in 1985, Morales became general secretary of the coca union. And in 1989, he spoke at a commemoratory event for a massacre that had happened a year before, the Villa Tunari massacre when 11 coca farmers had been killed oh. by agents of Yumopa, the Unidad Movil Policial para Areas Rurales, right. the Rural Area Mobile Patrol Unit. Jeez. Um, he spoke at a commemoration of them. The following day, Yumopa agents arrested him, beat him up. Yeah severely, right. and left him in the mountains to die. Jeez. They thought they'd taken care of one more problem. But he survives, and he is rescued. Rescued by other union members. Right. Um, so then he toyed with the idea of putting together an armed cocolero militia yeah. that could launch a guerrilla war, doing a Castro. Exactly. But decided instead to take an electoral path. To try that first. So he started actually traveling to other countries in Latin America at the time, places like Cuba, Venezuela, trying to build support for the coca farmers and their political efforts in Bolivia. And he basically positioned, as we said before, that the the coca leaf was a symbol of their culture, Mm -hmm. was under threat from imperial oppression of the U.S., in his view, the U.S. should just deal with their own fucking cocaine abuse problems without interfering in Bolivia. They had no right, right trying to eliminate this crop in another country that's got nothing to do with them and which, you know, is a legitimate product that played a long and, and, and legitimate role in Andean culture. He gave speeches to reporters at the time where he said, look, I'm not a drug trafficker, I'm a cocoa grower. I cultivate cocoa leaf which is a natural product. I don't refine it into cocaine, and neither right. cocaine nor any other drugs have ever been part of the Andean culture. We produce our coca, we bring it to the markets, we sell it, and that's where our responsibility ends. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I do, yeah. yes. Because what you do with it is completely up to you, or, or a second or third or fourth party. It's not me. I'm just a simple farmer. But the Americans are refusing to see it that way. And, of course, the whole war on drugs was fucking bullshit anyway. Right. And was, was you know, the, 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 the problem was the war on drugs, which, you know, we've talked about in depth. But anyway, the U.S. Uh, I remember we talked about this in the war on drugs miniseries that we did. We'd go around Latin America and because they couldn't do anything at home. Yeah. They couldn't stop people wanting drugs. <laughs> so they thought... Well, let's just beat up on the poor people and remove their crops. Yeah. The same thing has happened in Afghanistan with the poppies. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's go pick on the poor farmers rather than deal with your own issues, which, of course, as we talked about in the series, well, you have, if you're going to deal with it at home, you have to deal with the question about why do people want to use drugs in the first place, and right. it's usually because they're, they're depressed because their lives suck because they're working two jobs and still struggling yeah. to pay the rent and put food on the table because all the rich cunts are siphoning all their money off into fucking offshore tax havens. <laughs> And uh, no one wants to. No one wants to address that. Deal with that. The legacies of slavery and segregation and oppression, and the rich controlling all of the wealth. Yeah, it's easy just to beat up on the coca farmers in Bolivia. That's an easy sell to the American people. Is exactly so. As you can imagine, I think you're about to say this. In 1993, there's a general election. There were many general elections, but this one, Gonzalo Sanchez. De Lazada wins. He's the president. He privatizes a lot of uh, state-owned assets, like you were saying, selling them off. And he also agrees to do a deal with the United States DEA. He is going to relaunch the attacks against the cocoa growers. They they are going to try to wipe out twelve thousand five hundred acres or five thousand one hundred hectares. They want to eradicate it, and in in return, they are going to get twenty million dollars in aid from the Americans. And as you can imagine, the cocoa growers are not going to see much if any of that money it's going to stay in the big cities it's going to stay with the elites but for them it's a great deal so that's what they're going to do yeah i mean i think they did offer to pay some of the uh farmers uh a token not right price for their farms Yeah. yeah we're going to burn your livelihood but we'll give you some coin right now, Morales very heavily involved in the Cocolero Union, the Coca Union, and in 1994, when he was giving speeches denouncing the Sanchez government and their deal with the USDEA, yeah. he was arrested. Reporters at the scene reported that he had been beaten and accosted with racial slurs by the arresting agents because right. he was an indigenous. Uh, Indian. Yeah. He was accused of sedition against the government, and while he was in jail, he began a a hunger strike to protest his arrest. And the following day after his arrest, Mm 3,000 campesinos began a march from Villa Tunari to La Paz. It's a 360-mile or 580-kilometer march in protest right. against Ibo Morales' arrest. Damn, he's, he's made a name for himself. As you can imagine, he uh, they, I guess whether it's the federal government or the local government, they cave in. He is freed, and what does he do? He joins in on the march, and they reach the capital by September 19th. Yeah, so hell, that's a, that's a big march. It's a long yeah. march. I can't remember when they started it, but I know he was with it for at least a couple of weeks. Exactly. So then they uh, covered the city with political graffiti, made their complaints. Nothing really happens right. until he's arrested again in <laughs> April 1995. Right. During a sting operation that rounded up a secret meeting of coca producers on the shores of Lake Titicaca. <laughs> Supposedly he was joining others to bring on about a coup, 
Uh, but like we said, he's pretty much chosen a a political avenue instead of a violent one because he did think about that before. So a lot of this is probably trumped up. And a week later, he is freed. But again, they know who he is and they're keeping an eye on him. Yeah, they arrested him and a bunch of others, claimed that they were plotting a coup, had, the, had them all tortured to get them to confess. Nobody confessed anything. There was no evidence of a coup. Right. And they were all freed within a week. <sighs> tortured. And then free. Sorry. So by the mid yeah. by the mid nineties, uh, what are you trying to say? Something? No, no, no. I was just saying. Yeah, we're sorry. We tortured you for a week. Off you go. Thank you. Oh right. Yeah. Yeah. Now by the mid nineties, Morales had helped form something called the ASP, the Assembly for the Sovereignty of the Fuck. I did it again. The Assembly for the Sovereignty of uh-huh. the Peoples. Hmm. Which represented the CSUTCB, the Unique Confederation of Rural Labourers of Bolivia, basically a big union political party, union-based political party. Yes. 96, he's appointed chairman of the Committee of the Six Federations of the Tropics of Cochabamba, which is sort of a city in the middle of the agricultural region of Bolivia. Mm And the ASP formed a coalition with the Communist Party of Bolivia to form the UL, the United Left, which started running in regional elections and winning them because it was actually a workers' party. Right. Yeah, so Morales himself gets elected to the Chamber of Deputies in the National Congress as a representative for El Chapare, he gets 70% of the local vote. So, again, they're doing well. He's doing well because the people know they're going to uh, they're going to try to address their concerns. So the ASP ends up uh, splitting Morales forms, yeah. a thing called the Sovereignty of the Peoples, the IPSP, continued to have political success, and the government then steps up these accusations of him being involved in the cocaine trade. Right. And they made fun of him for being an Indian, for his accent, for his lack of education, this kind of stuff. So from very early on, as soon as he starts having political support, they start accusing him of of a whole bunch of stuff. Well, it went back even years before that. The very fact that he was standing up for the coca growers... They meant that they started accusing him of being a cocaine trafficker, of uh, of uh, uh, staging a coup, or wanting to stage a coup, etc., right. etc. Et no evidence for any of this is ever brought forward, but the the allegations go way back to the the nineties against him, right? Because he was a general, a genuine, sorry, uh, leftist political leader that the far-right government wanted to try and shut down. Right. And he's certainly of the people, one of the people. So I think you were about to say this. And, yeah, 1999, the elections, the party that he had taken over, the MAS, they win 79 municipal council seats, 10 mayoral positions, and 3.27% uh, of the national vote. Um, but, again, so, again, they're starting, they're starting to get a lot of traction. They're rising. The elites are going to try to fight back in their own particular way. And what do the elites do when they don't bring in the army? They, they try to make your lives miserable miserable. They double the price of water that's being sold to the Bolivians. The leftists rise up. They clash with the peace, with the police. This is known as the water war. So it's it's getting ugly, but they're trying to do something. But the elites are sitting there, you know, matching them 
move for move, and sometimes it gets very violent. The um, His political party at this stage, Movement for Socialism, MAS, their platform was, this is a quote, an indigenous-based political party that calls for the nationalisation of industry, legislation of the coca leaf, and fairer distribution mm. of national resources. That was the, basically their platform. Yeah. Now, he basically runs in this election, uh, gets a place in Congress, right. doesn't win government, but gets a place in Congress, but then the US puts pressure on the government under Kuroga to have Morales expelled from Congress... <laughs> Because he's supposedly a cocaine trafficker or aligned right. with cocaine traffickers because he's, you know, supporting the coca farmers. He does get expelled. Uh, MAS, you know, just becomes sort of an activist party then. Then in the 2002 election I mentioned before, won 21% of the national vote, which mm. made MAS Bolivia's second largest party, yes. only 1.5% behind MNR. The party started by Paz in the 1940s and it started off kind of reformist but then ended up as a far-right party by the 80s. Uh, their candidate, uh, we mentioned earlier, Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada, became president. Now, following that election, this is the election when the US had tried to uh, threaten the Bolivians. Yeah. If you vote for Morales, we are going to fuck you up. <laughs> what did Donald Trump say? Like, we... We've We've done it before. Done it. We can do exactly. it again. Yeah, we yeah. will pull funding, and you will collapse, and you will feel it. Yeah. So, Jesus. So they. So after the election, the U.S. embassy in Bolivia continued to put pressure on them to get rid of Morales. They positioned him as a criminal. And yeah. they tried to get the traditional parties in Bolivia to sign an agreement amongst themselves to prevent MAS Morales from having any political role in the country. Basically, the US mm -hmm. is trying to get Bolivia to ban a political party from being able to run. Right. Um, and at this stage, as early as this stage, 20, uh, 2002, Morales began alleging that the CIA were plotting to assassinate him. Now, in 2003, there was another uh, like internal war that broke out, the gas wars. Yeah. Uh, there had been the water wars. Now there's the gas wars. Jeez. There were activists, including coca growers, that were protesting against the privatisation of the country's national gas supply and it being sold to U.S. companies below the market value. Again, right-wing government under the control of the U.S., the IMF, and the World Bank uh, trying to get uh, support from the IMF by selling off natural mm -hmm. resources cheaply to U.S. companies. Activists blocked off the road to La Paz. There were clashes with police. 80 were people were killed, 400 or so injured, <clears throat> including children and civilians. Right. Morales wasn't there at the time. He was in Libya and Switzerland, but he described it as a peaceful revolution in progress. But the government accused Morales and the MAS of using the protest to try and overthrow the Bolivian government and accused them of being organized, uh, involved with organized crime and... FARC from Colombia, far-left governments like Cuba and Venezuela. No no proof of any of this was ever right. provided. They just threw about these accusations. Morales called for President Sanchez de Lozada to step down over the death toll from the mm. riots 
and he did finally resign and fled to Miami, <laughs> the uh, final refuge of brutal <laughs> South American right. dictators. Join the sun, yeah. And and um, you, probably, I don't know if you have some background on him, but Carlos Mesa takes his place. Mesa was trying to be, you know, a moderate, but still, or he's trying to come across as a moderate, but Morales, who is the leader of the opposition, does not trust him. And this name is going to come up, Mesa is going to come up time and time again. By the way, uh, Morales, when he got into government, kept trying to extradite Sanchez de Lozada from Miami. Right. And uh, the U.S. Yeah, Americans aren't going to go for that. Still haven't. Yeah. Yeah. They think he's a drug dealer. They, 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 they did hold a trial and in 2018 found them not liable for the civilian debts. An American court in Florida <laughs> found we can do that? them innocent. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Didn't extradite him back to, <laughs> you know, Bolivia to stand trial. To stand to face. him in the U.S. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh Yes. Well, Carlos Metza, we've we've talked about before, Ray. Carlos Metza uh-huh. was the former general who took power at various stages. So right. uh, he, he, was that was Garcia Metza. Maybe he's a different guy. I don't know. Anyway, he's the new. He was the new president briefly. Um, <laughs> Right. Then Morales uh, travelled around, spent time with Fidel Castro. Uh, in 2004, uh, MAS, his party, MAS, became the country's largest national party, had 28% of all councillors in Bolivia. Wow. But they failed to win in any big cities because yeah. most of their support, of course, is... In the rural areas with the workers and the farmers, not with the urban middle class. Right. In in the Santa Cruz region, like the the biggest city in Bolivia, there was a strong movement for autonomy under the pro-Santa Cruz committee that was sort of a neoliberal movement that was critical of the cocoleros, they were considering armed, armed insurrection to secede from Bolivia mm. if Morales took power. Right. Anyway, in March 2005, Mesa resigned. He claimed it was because of pressure from the Cocolero roadblocks and riots. Yeah. Then uh, a guy called Eduardo Rodriguez became president of a transitional government and they got ready for a general election in December 2005, in which Ibo Morales got 53.7% of the vote. Wow. It was the first victory with an absolute majority in Bolivia for 40 years. Oh he was the first indigenous president in a country where 62% of the population identified as indigenous. Right. He was compared with the Nelson Mandela becoming the, Afri- the South African president right. in 1994. The first time in this country's entire history that one of its indigenous people had the reins of government. For all the attempts. And the, the United Americans, States. Exactly, exactly. They're not happy. The United States, of course, great protectors and lovers of democracy, <laughs> were furious and immediately tried to get him pushed out. 
This is in 2006. Oh, my God. So, you know, I think that's where we will leave the series for now, Ray. Uh, A bit of background on Ibo Morales. What do you think of Ibo Morales after all of that? Um, He is like a lot of men or a lot of important people that we've done shows on. He has survived so many odds. Uh, Part of it luck, part of it hard work, part of it timing, but he has a cause. He is focused. He's certainly not perfect, but he has he has defied the odds, and people like that do end up uh, in the history books, uh, generally for good reasons. What about you? Well, I will point out one more. Oh well, yeah, like he just reminds me of Ho Chi Minh or Fidel right. Che Guevara, um, one of these guys that we've talked about that have spent large part of their life just trying to win political and economic freedom for their people. Now, look, that doesn't mean that they're all necessarily saints. Right. It doesn't mean that they haven't had to go to war and have people killed or have people arrested or, you know, that they haven't been repressive or oppressive at various times in the administration. You leave that aside for now. It's hard to argue, impossible, I would say, that they haven't dedicated and sacrificed large chunks of their lives to win economic and political freedom for their people and themselves as part of that. There's probably a selfish motive in that, but they also have done a lot of good work. And, you know, I don't know, you have to respect that. I mean, because I haven't done that. I've spent decades of my life boring people by talking (laughs) to a microphone, but... um, these people have actually dedicated their lives right. to something. Nelson Mandela, another example, yeah. right? Decades of his life in prison. Something bigger. As a terrorist and then in prison, right? right? Trying yeah. to uh, overthrow a corrupt regime. I'll just finish with this. This is from um, Julian Assange's WikiLeaks book. By the way, I'm sure you saw the news this week. Julian Assange, all of the uh, rape charges by Sweden were dropped. Nice. Of course, people will be listening. This episode may be not come out until weeks later, but we're recording this on the 22nd of November, Mm -hmm. 2019. Yeah, all of the rape charges have been dropped finally by Sweden. Um, They said the evidence is no longer there. Now, the evidence, from my understanding, was mostly the testimony of the two women. I don't know how that can change (laughs) over several years. Right. Uh, maybe they've don't they've changed their story. I don't know. I mean, there's no other evidence, really. Yeah. But all the Swedish government are saying is that, well, so much time has passed, uh, the evidence is no longer there for us to prosecute. But, I mean, it sounds flimsy to me. I mean, it, yeah. it sounds more and more like it is what Assange has always said it was, a ruse to get him to Sweden in order for him to be extradited to the United States to get thrown into prison for exposing the uh, illegalities of the Bush war on Iraq and Afghanistan through his leak of uh, various US military materials. Anyway, uh, from the WikiLeaks book, he say, which this was the book that uh, basically took the State Department cables and um, right. explored those that he leaked. It says in uh, on January 3rd, 2006, just two days after Morales' inauguration as president, the U.S. ambassador made clear that multilateral assistance to Bolivia would hinge on what the embassy would subsequently refer to as the good behaviour 
of the Morales government. Uh, here's a quote from a cable. The ambassador also showed the crucial importance of US contributions to key international financials on which Bolivia depended for assistance, such as the International Development Bank, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund. Mm. When you think of the IDB, you should think of the US, the ambassador said. This is not blackmail. It is simple reality. Yeah. So, you know, when I say or, you know, people say, well, the World Bank and the IMF and these things are really just fronts for the US. Uh, not just us saying that, it? US ambassador to Bolivia. <laughs> saying it's not blackmail. It's just simple reality. Yeah. Give us what we want or we cut off the money That's right. from the supposedly independent and objective world development organizations. Because we can. This is uh, more from the book. Fed up with U.S. support for people and groups working to violently overthrow it, the Morales government declared U.S. Ambassador Philip Goldberg persona non grata on September 10th, 2008, and expelled him. U.S. aid's lack of transparency regarding whom it was funding in Bolivia had contributed to the breakdown in relations. Bolivian officials had repeatedly requested the information to no avail. Mm. Cables from 2007 described the anger of the Minister of the Presidency, Juan Ramon Quintana, at the secretive nature of USAID's programs. US researchers also sought the release of USAID and related documents. By the time of the September 2008 events, three-and-a-half-year-old Freedom of Information Act requests remained unanswered. The US continued to send hundreds of millions of dollars to unnamed recipients in Bolivia via USAID after 2009. Ultimately, in 2013, Bolivia expelled USAID as well. Mm. Well, that as a little bit of background, next time we will talk more about the recent political events and the role that lithium may or may not play in that, Ray. Can't wait. That's because... Oh, I'm a pansy. (laughs) I'm really not. Yeah, you are. That is all that matters. Sometimes you have to hear it from someone else. So let's go with penises. My penis. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you can move off my penis, bigger, it's different in the eye of the beholder. It's fun to talk about. That's how I'm going to fight.